A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining me. Really great to have you tuning in again. I am talking to Dr. Heather McKee today. She's the UK's leading weight loss and behaviour change psychology specialist. And her research has been featured in Time, The Washington Post, Women's Health, Huffington Post, loads more. We're going to be talking all about habit change and how habits work. What's actually happening when you create or change a habit in terms of the process behind it. We talk about why it doesn't actually take 21 days to change a habit. That's a myth. And she explains why and how long it actually does take. And she also coaches me on the call to change a habit myself. And it's something that I think probably all of us can relate to. So I'm sure you're going to get some benefit from that as well. So this is a fascinating discussion. Heather really knows her stuff. She's all about making the science very practical and translating it into ways that is very easy to understand and I love her way of explaining things. So don't forget if you want to hear about the latest podcast and if you want to get your free anxiety busting toolkit head over to karmau.com forward slash free and enter your email address and I'll send that right over to you. All right let's get into the episode. Welcome Heather thanks so much for joining me today how are you doing? Great thanks for having me. I'm a little bit cold. It's a bit cold today. There was ice. There was ice for the first time on the roof opposite me. So it's definitely cold today, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So if you see me with scarf halfway through, you'll know. (laughs) (laughs) So can you just tell us what it is that you do and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, great. Um, So I am a habit coach and behavior change specialist. So what that means is that I run kind of evidence-based healthy habit change programs to help those that are kind of finding it hard to make their healthy habits stick, kind of build those skills. So there's evidence-based skills um, to get the mindset for success and stay there. So say, you know, you're someone who dieted your whole life and now you're looking for something more sustainable or you want to repair your relationship with food so it's more functional rather than emotional or you want to create basically you want to create habits that last a lifetime and not just like six week transformational kind of habits. I support people to do that in an evidence-based way rather than kind of an unscientific, fact-based, you know, quick fix. So I work one-to-one with clients um, through my habit coaching and then my other arm of my business is my behavior change consultancy. So supporting businesses and embedding behavior change tools into their programs to support that kind of long-term healthy habit maintenance. So I'm all about the long-term kind of habit stuff. Yeah, and I suppose like 
I ultimately my re- my my mission is to kind of translate the research into effective and actionable ways that people can maintain and change their habits so that they can sustain them long term. And I suppose I was thinking about this actually question because I was thinking about like, you know, what drives me and like I think what drives me is like like showing people that, you know, changing their health habits, it doesn't have to be about restriction or rules or anything like that. It can actually be quite a joyful process. And it's just about setting up kind of an effective system of habits that works for you in the context of your life and habits that are kind of kinder more enjoyable and and ultimately the habits that will contribute towards long-term success so I love the idea of translating the science into something that is practical because firstly if you look at a scientific study unless you have a science degree they're very hard to decipher you can't tell even if you have two or three science degrees sometimes I'm like tell me what you're trying to say (laughs) come on because you could read a study or one could read a study and not know whether it's a well-designed study or whether it is a big enough sample size and all these things and often what happens I think in the media is the media will get hold of a study and it might have been a study of 12 people and suddenly you know broccoli causes cancer or something and or red wine and bottle of red wine a day is good for you and we're like getting the wrong messages so study by the red wine it was in women so postmenopausal women and it was only if they drank you know two glasses of wine a week or something like that or maybe it was more than that but it was like that's exactly like you say it was that specific group and yet that's been extracted out and you know people think oh yeah okay I'm having red wine it's good for me now I like to to sit in that camp as well (laughs) no it's quite interesting when you examine the evidence even actually with habit change you know the common thing with habit change is everyone thinks it takes 21 days to um, change a habit and the interesting thing is actually that's come from research from the 1960s that it was in plastic surgery research that actually showed that it took 21 days for someone to become accustomed to their new face if they've had plastic surgery and for some reason what's been deduced from that is that it takes 21 days to actually form a habit and now new research has come out from UCL who are amazing um, in terms of behavior change research and um, they've shown it takes 66 to 20 122 days um, to change a habit Um, but it's just quite interesting how you know we kind of latch on to certain things and you know we think you know that that's actually fact but when you kind of pull the layers away yeah with the research you understand that actually that might not very much be the fact at all that's amazing isn't it because so many people trot out that statistic that it takes 21 days to change a habit and yet it's not even true and there's it's you know completely to do with something not relevant to changing your diet or stopping smoking or whatever people use that for yeah no you're so right and I think actually one thing I would say is not to get disheartened by that because often when I tell my clients that they're like oh god you know but the thing about it is and it kind of something that um you know I'm sure we'll get to over the course of our chat but like the simpler habit those are the ones that become more consistent and they become embedded in your life and we have you know 40% of our day is made up of the habits that we already have and they're automatic so they don't even use your willpower so the good thing is starting small creating these simple habits is what leads to that effective change over time and so you know Oh, I always say to people is don't overcomplicate things. You know, let's start as small as possible. So small, it's say like you know you want to make your habits trippable. So you're almost tripping over them. They're so easy. You know, at the start. Um, but I'll come back to that. But you know, I think it's just for people not to get disheartened. You know, um, and I think to take that long term view because that's very very important. Um, because so often we're sold this 
you know, if it doesn't happen fast, it's not worthwhile. That isn't evidence-based at all. And um, actually, and it can be really demoralizing for people. Um, and so, you know, it's important to take that long-term view and understand it does take time to build a habit. But once you get to that point, it becomes automatic. I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about something I did at a workshop recently where I said to everyone, you know, who's um, set a New Year's resolution, you know, this year? And everyone was like, you know, me, me, me. And I was like, and how many of us feel like we failed already? You know, a lot of us put up our hands and saying, you know, and how many times has this, has this, has this happened to us, like, you know, every year? Or how many times, like, every year or five times or whatever else? And I said, how many of us forgot to brush our teeth this morning? And everyone's just like, what? Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, we didn't forget because it's automatic. It's ingrained in us. And we didn't sit there and lie in bed and you know debate the pros and cons of dental hygiene or try and create some emotional stamina to engage in our um, teeth brushing or you know rationalize ourselves out of it you know we did it because it's automatic um, and you know the benefits of teeth brushing besides obviously fresh breath you know they aren't immediate they are long term and it's just something that we've taught ourselves to engage with because it's important to us on a long-term basis. And I always say, you know, we want to get our habits, the rest of our health habits like that. It becomes so automatic. It's just something that you do every day. Um, and that's possible. That's such a good example because everyone will be like, of course, I brush my yeah. teeth every day. <laughs> People are like, what? I'm looking for someone to put up their hand for that part. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. What do you see most in your clinic then? What sort of things are people struggling with when they come and see you? I think a lot of my clients come to see me because they're confused. You know, they don't understand. They've dieted maybe a lot in their lives or they've followed the trends with health and wellness. And now it's come to a point where they don't even know how to eat anymore. Like every choice they make is kind of, um, if they don't do it perfectly, what's the point at all? And um for those people, I always say, you know, it's it's like there's a kind of a grey cloud there. And above it is the blue sky. It's the clear sky. It's like the thinking, you know, when we're in line with our values and we know what we've got to do. And what we do together is we kind of try and dissipate that grey cloud so that people can understand, you know, one, you know, we can train them to eat more intuitively so they can understand hunger and fullness again instead of responding to just emotional reasons for eating. Yeah, so it's getting rid of the confusion and making it something positive again rather than something so negative because I think this year particularly there's been such a backlash against the diet industry and there's the anti-diet movement now and hardly anyone is talking about new year's resolutions actually that people are saying I, I don't make new year's resolutions because they're just going to fail and it's everyone's changed their attitude people have intentions now don't they that seem a lot softer and kinder and people are more into the intuitive eating and looking at the, the healthy habits and um, one of the things I think is on your website, a quote by Socrates, the secret of change is to focus your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And that's just so much more positive, isn't it? Rather than focusing on the kind of the restriction and the things that we don't want to actually focus on what we, we do want. So I'm wondering, what do you think of the, I suppose the diet industry? Do you think it's on the way out? Where do, where do you stand on, on that topic? Right. That is a really good question. So the diet industry is really the reason why I started my business in the first place, actually, um, because I spent 10 years researching like the best ways to help people maintain their habits long term. And I was so frustrated at what was out there. And I thought I'm going to I can stay in research and, you know, continue to find out that 
everything happening in the media, you know, with the dieting culture, boy, or I can do something about it. And I've always been about actionable research and about translation. Um, so it was that that motivated me actually to go into business, to be able to translate this message more. Because unfortunately, as we talked about at the start of this podcast, you know, with papers and everything, they don't tend to be well translated to the public. And I feel an obligation and a purpose in terms of that to actually translate for people what's most effective. And so in that vein, you know, the research shows that 80% of diets fail in the first year and even more fail in the second. And there is no long-term evidence on the effectiveness of dieting. In fact, the only evidence we have on dieting is that it causes weight gain long-term. And so given that, it seems like the most obscene thing to do something that's actually going to cause a consequence that you're trying to actually prevent. You know, it's the definition of madness. And so... For me, yeah, it's all about helping people kind of repair this dieting mindset because, you know, we're all told that we need to restrict. My most hated word is regime. You know, when people tell me they're going on a new exercise regime and I say, oh, what are you, an <laughs> army? Like, you know, this is horrific. And there's a really interesting study that shows they, when they told people that they were going to go on a diet on the Monday morning, they start overcompensating 500 and 800 calories a day because they were so concerned with um, actually um, the fact that they were going to go on that diet. So they started like basically, you know, they had this loss or this deprivation mindset and they were getting really concerned about, you know, missing out on all of those good things, you know, in life. And I think that's the key thing. What we know from the literature is that actually deprivation, restriction and stress are the key factors that are integrated in, um, you know, weight gain. And so why do something that causes those things in order to lose weight? It just doesn't make any sense um, and unfortunately the people that are peddling all these kind of weight loss diets and everything else again they're all short term I would say don't trust anything that's you know less than six weeks and anything that has the word transformation in the title as well because the thing is anything that's transformational in such a short period of time is not going to be sustainable and ultimately you know like we talked about with them um, how long it takes to form a habit you know it's got to be small enough that it's going to, you're going to be doing it this time next year. Um, and that's what's really important. And I, I, so I'm excited by this kind of revolution or this anti-dieting revolution or movement, as you call it, because it shows that people are starting to actually understand that this is ineffective and it's not going to get them to where they want to be. And actually, they want to find ways to be healthy and you know stick to their habits in a kinder way and a more compassionate way for themselves. And ultimately, that's what the research shows is most effective to make things stick long term. So, so interesting, isn't it, how things are starting to change, but how the drive to eat is so strong. Of course, it's yeah. our survival. And to go yeah. against that, to deprive yourself and to starve yourself is going against what your body really, really wants to do. So it's yeah. not, it's bound to fail. I remember yeah. reading something about a study that they'd done ages ago, like in the 50s or something. And they put people on a um, 1,500 calorie a day diet to mimic starvation. Mm. And they were saying, actually, this was, a 1500 calorie diet was considered starvation in the 50s nowadays yeah. that's what people go on to try to lose weight yeah so it's messed up basically we're basically yeah. you're starving yourself if you're trying to do that um, because willpower is a limited resource you know we compare willpower to muscle you know if you train your biceps every day in the gym you get to friday you can't pick up a weight you know you can't even pick up a cup of tea at that stage um whereas if you do it in measured amounts small enough that it feels easy enough but you know consistent over time you're going to be building that muscle 
And so I say to people, you know, it's better to go to the gym once a week for seven weeks because that's what builds a habit as opposed to going for seven days, smashing it out and never being able to go back again. And so we want to set up our lives, you know, when it comes to habit change to make it easier to make that healthier choice. And so we want to set up an environment that doesn't rely on our willpower. And in studies they've shown, actually, the people that are best able to resist temptation are the people that have removed that temptation from their environment or don't actually come into contact with that temptation as much as possible. So actually, they don't even have to use their willpower at any stage. And and this comes on to another thing which relates to the dieting thing and just what your point on um, deprivation is. I always say that, like, ultimately... You know, your willpower is going to be stronger, strongest when your hunger is absent. So if you fuel yourself in a way that you don't have to use your willpower to resist things, you're much less likely to actually give in to that temptation. It's the whole, you know, we always talk about don't go to the supermarket hungry. It's the exact same principle. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to feel vulnerable to giving in to temptation because that's when we do. We're only human. And when we talk about basic physiological reactions, you know, I always say like hunger is like, like breathing, you know, like I was just talk- talking to you about um, when I went diving in Belize, you know, like when you dive under, you've got to hold your breath, you know, and you're, you're actually trying to override, you know, that natural um, bodily reaction, which is to breathe. But what happens when you come up? You know, if you've deprived yourself, if you've ignored that, if you've tried to push against that, um, you come up and you're gasping for air and you're gulping for air and you're trying to get the air in as quick as possible. And it's the exact same with hunger. If you ignore your hunger or you try and push through or you try and restrict or deprive yourself, what's going to happen, you know, when you get to the end of the day? You're going to eat everything in sight because naturally and physiologically and evolutionary, we are made to actually be in that way so when we suppress our actual our intuition and we ignore what our bodily needs are you know we are going to give in to temptation so the key there is you know how do we set up our environment to support us to not feel hungry to not give in to temptation yeah yeah absolutely that's fascinating i'd love to hear a bit more about that in a minute but i i also want to know and this might not be even an easy question to answer but how do habits work? What's actually happening in the brain or the body when we create a habit? Great question. So I like to think about habit change, like untangling a knot. Um, so this is something that happens to me quite often. That um, And actually, I've got a good example here. Um, my headphones are in a bit of a knot. So if you think about a, like a large behavior change, like um, smoking or maybe, let's say, giving up sugar, what do we do when we want to entangle a knot, you know? Um, we, we're trying to untangle a complex kind of mesh of behaviors. So actually focusing on just giving up sugar alone, that's not going to really get us to where we want to get to. What we need to do is break it down into its component parts. Um, and the kind of the definition of a, of a habit is kind of, they're, they're basically formed through context-dependent repetition. So what that means is do the same thing in the same circumstance enough times and it becomes a habit. And so if we look at that habit knot, let's look at, you know, basically those parts that are going to be easier to unwind. We're not going to start and try and pull it all apart. You know, we're not going to, but like the best way to start isn't by just giving up sugar altogether. It's looking for those quick wins. You know, what are those little bits that are kind of hanging down that we can kind of pull off easily? Um, and habits work on this loop system. So there's um, a cure um, or a trigger. There's the actual action itself. And then there's a reward. So actually breaking it down, looking at, okay, well, what are those cues or triggers? 
you know, is it a certain time of day for you? Is it because, you know, that temptation was presented in your environment? Was it because you let yourself go hungry for so long? You know, examining and becoming curious about those cues or triggers um, is a first um, stepping point in kind of untangling that wide mesh of behaviors. So for example, if it was sugar, um, one thing I get my clients to do is to do a temptation tracker. Um, and this is off the back of one of my research studies, um, which we've, you know, found it was really helpful to look at when people are tempted most and why. Um, so by tracking your temptations throughout the day, you can actually start to see really um, strongly ingrained patterns. And it can be quite interesting for a lot of people. So, for example, a lot of people were tempted around four o'clock and a lot of people were tempted around eight o'clock. Um, and at four o'clock, it tended to be out of reasons of boredom um, or because they saw, um, you know, attempting food in their environment or because they hadn't eaten enough of a sustainable lunch. Um, so for those people, you know, you know, there's a there's a way to solve that behavior and replace that kind of habit with a new one that keeps the same reward. And that kind of brings us on to the habit loop again. So you've got your cue or your trigger. So you're trying to minimize those cues or triggers to make it easier for you to make the healthier choice. You've got the behavior itself and then you've got the reward, which is the kind of next and the deeper stage and kind of something that I work through with my clients is what reward are you seeking right now? You know, like, is it stress relief? OK, well, and Chloe, you'd know an awful lot about this um, about, you know, what what other coping mechanisms could you have? to actually, you know, address that stress relief because we know a lot of people eat out of stress um, related response, but yet eating isn't a coping mechanism to deal with stress. It's not going to necessarily make you long-term any less stress, just like smoking cigarettes. You know, the whole um, mindset behind that is it's going to provide stress relief, but actually long-term it doesn't and actually adds to more of that stress cycle. And so um, looking at that reward that you're seeking and looking at, okay, can we replace what that behavior is? Can we look at, well, what else helps gives us stress relief? What's more functional for us to give us stress relief? So what I like to do is I like to break down those individual components, looking at the cues and triggers, looking at the behavior itself, and then looking at the reward with the person. So instead of trying to attack that giant knot, we're looking at, okay, well, what are the low-hanging fruits? What are the quick wins that we can look at? And we're going to eventually unravel that slowly so we can get to that center or that core. Um, and, you know, that's one way to approach habit change. I love that idea. I think, do you think some people almost believe that it's going to be easier than it is at first? Oh, I'll just give up sugar. And But then when they're actually faced with the reality of it, find that it's a lot harder in a way. Do you think we get almost overconfident in the beginning? And actually yeah. we do need to break it down. Yeah, I, I love that. It's a really good point. And that goes back to the willpower point. Like at the start, when our motivation is high, we can never really, we're kind of blinded by that motivation. And we think, we never think about we're going to be fatigued at some stage, we're going to be stressed at some stage. At some stage, we're not going to have many good options around or we might get stuck. Um, and so actually in those circumstances, I support people by helping them create a plan for those environments. So like I talked about, about cues and triggers, um, there's a concept in psychology called implementation intentions, which I'm sure you've probably heard of before, but it's about having plans for, you know, what are those triggers and cues? So they're called if-then plans. So for example, I get everyone, all my clients to brainstorm, okay, well, what happens if you're busy at work and you get held in work? How does that impact your um, healthy habits? What happens when you get stressed? How does that impact your healthy habits? So we talk through typical scenarios that might happen because 
the thing is people think that we can go from A to B in this kind of straight line and it's all going to be perfect and everything's going to be fine but that's not real life you know habit change we go up and down we go up and down and the key thing is to learn from those times that we go down and actually equip yourself to be able to deal with those situations and so you know like stress it's it's, hap- it's going to happen to us all. It's going to happen to us all on a weekly basis and for a lot of us on a daily basis. So we have to know what we're going to do in those situations. And so what we do is we say, if X happens, then I will do Y. So if I find that I'm at hell late work, you know, what will I do in that situation? And we work through, um, and this is something that people at home can do, you know, work through and experiment with different things you can do in that situation until you find the one that seems to stick for you that makes most sense. And so instead of leaving it up to chance when we get in those situations, we actually come in to situations where empowered, we're enabled, and we have a default. We're like, okay, if I'm stuck late in work, this is the default. Um, you know, if I am away for the weekend and I come back, I have no shopping. This is the default. So we look for those regular occurrences of those things that kind of throw us off track on a day to day, week to week, you know, month to month basis. And we start making plans for those. And then you become accountable to those plans. Um, and it comes back to one of my studies that I did um, for people that were successful at maintaining their habits long term versus those that were successful for a while and then relapsed. And what we found that the key difference was that those that were successful were successful because they actually learned from their failures and they didn't see a failure as a complete like, oh, let's write it off and it starts on Monday kind of mentality. They saw it as an opportunity to learn. Okay, in that situation, I was too hungry and that's why I gave into temptation. Okay, that makes sense. So what do I do in the future to prevent that happening? They had that kind of, you know, um, experimental mindset. They had that self-compassion, that kindness that they were able to understand, you know, why they gave into temptation and learn from it and then apply it to future situations to prevent that happening again I love that idea of just going into it and breaking it down and it really reminds me um, about my boyfriend and he recently improved his diet quite a bit he used to enjoy a pizza from Papa John's because there's a Papa John's really close to where we live and he and he realized that he would be on the bus coming back from work and he would see Papa John's out the window and he'd be starving coming back from work and he'd be like oh I have you know I have to have some pizza so what he realised he needs to do is actually work on that moment on the bus and have a snack with him or have, you know, have already gone to the shop to buy some ingredients to have dinner while he's on the bus so that he's not yeah. then creating that trigger of, oh, I'm hungry, I'm going to go and have this. So yeah. that's a kind of, yeah, sounds like it fits in with what, what you might recommend someone to it's do. So I just, yeah, it's so true. Like we think that these things are for chance, but they're not. And like... um I'm working actually on a childhood obesity program at the moment where we've designed a game um, for children to play that primes them to engage with vegetables. Because at the moment, you might have heard this recently, there's a government policy that's been discussed at the moment about a watershed on um, children's exposure to ads around high fat, high salt, high sugar foods. And because they're all targeted at children, think of breakfast cereals as a primary example. You know, essentially it's a junk food and it's marketed at children. Courgettes aren't marketed, aubergines or bananas or any of those things. They're not marketed towards children. And so actually we're using exactly the opposite in that, well, actually in the same way that that Papa John's advertising is being used. We're using getting children to engage with vegetables to actually have more 
vegetables in the environment, more instances where they see them and they understand them to actually prime them to engage with eating more vegetables as well. But it's something to be conscious of for people. We don't operate in isolation. Like we are a product mm. of our environment. If you keep your fridge full of really um, tasty but potentially unhealthy stuff, you know, those are the things you're going to have when you're hungry. That's just the way that we're wired. Whereas if you bring your veg to front and you've got easily accessible kind of healthier snacks, those are the ones you're going to reach for. It goes back to the engineering our environment to support that choice. And exactly like your boyfriend did, you know, he did it in a really functional way that actually he understood, okay, the reason I'm giving into this temptation right now is because I'm hungry, because I'm vulnerable and because I've been primed to engage in it. Um, so certainly something to think about. Mm. And can I ask you, what about exercise? Because I'm trying to get back into doing more exercise, mainly because it just makes me happier when I do it in the yeah. morning. My day is always better. And I realised, I was talking to someone about this, a friend um, yesterday, and I realised I just let it slip. I still go exercise a couple of times a week, but I was in this great routine of exercise in the morning. What would you say for someone that wants to get into that habit of exercise? Is there a kind of, I don't know, a specific technique that you tell them to do or how would you how would you help me basically I love that um I suppose I try and understand you know what you said you know you're thinking about doing in the morning what what time of day is best for you you know what makes it easiest for you and I think about okay well what yeah ultimately it's about how do we make it easy for you to exercise each day you know what makes it seem like a pleasure rather than a chore and what what point does that kind of pleasure tip into a chore and let's like look at that as well um so I'd ask you you know when do you feel like it fits in best for you like when do you get the most from it um and you said that it's the mornings for you I think so I think it almost sets me up for the day if I've yeah. done the exercise and just gets me in a good mood and I don't know if other people who are self-employed find this but it's so easy just to sit down at your desk and then suddenly it's three o'clock and you haven't actually even had a shower or yeah. done anything if you don't have to go out well that doesn't always happen obviously but occasionally yeah. it does and actually <laughs> it would be nice to just do my workout have a shower and then work potentially yeah. so and so for you then you know, so it sounds like that's a really ideal kind of time of day if you can commit to that time for a while. But again, you know, I wouldn't say next week, let's go out and do seven times a week. You know, try once or twice at, at doing it at this time of day, you know, schedule it in your diary, whatever you need to do to actually make that appointment with yourself and carve out at that time. And then I would say at a second note, you know, what activities do you enjoy? Like what's going to make you want to get out of bed, especially now that it's colder, it's darker and um, everything else. You know, what's going to make you want to engage in exercise? Like what what are the exercises or the ways in which you exercise? What are the ways that bring joy? Running, going yeah. to the gym, lifting some weights, I would say. Oh, it's a dream. So yeah, you love yeah. it all. Yeah, <laughs> the thing to think about as well how you layer on enjoyment as well for people because a lot of people really enjoy walking you know it's a very accessible it's a very easy way to exercise but how can you make walking more enjoyable more interesting some people listen to audiobooks some people walk with a dog they borrow my doggy or you know they talk to, they go with a friend or they talk to someone on the phone at the time um so for you you know you enjoy going to the gym you know what how can you make that more enjoyable for yourself what playlist can you listen to you know what exercises can you do and and that brings us back to another point which is on preparation which is you know when it comes to exercise and everything else it's good to know just like with your food planning and everything else what are you going to do before it even happens because the problem is when we leave it to the time that we're exercising you know we get a bit deflated for like oh I'm not really sure what I'm doing and um you know if we go to the gym 
coming out of plan. Again, you know, like the best time to plan is like at the end of the last workout that you've had, you know, what went well, what didn't go so well, what did you enjoy? Okay, let's make a plan for the next time. Write that out. Often my, my clients will write that as a reminder in their phone that pops up next time that they have a session. And there, there's so many kind of little tools and tricks to kind of keep you on track. But the key is finding that joy, you know, and reminding yourself of that joy and then making it trip overable, as I say, you know, like putting your exercise gear out in the morning, making it as easy as possible for you to access, you know, putting your laptop under the bed in some sort of like, you know, hard to reach place it's not going to be the first thing that's going to pop out and actually you have to remove your running shoes to actually get to the laptop and they act as a primer that little nudge to get you engaged in the um, in the exercise and then often some people find the commitment is really helpful as well so actually knowing that they've to a specific class they paid amount of money for a gym or they've committed someone else that can be mobilizing for some people others they like to exercise on their own and that's enough for them but for some people you know, the having mountability is important as well. So it might be something um, to consider if that's the type of motivation you have. Mm, okay, so making it enjoyable and making it easy. And I'm yeah. definitely going to be putting my gym gear somewhere visible near yeah. the door, near, near, near for me to, to get changed into it tomorrow morning. I love that. I love yeah. how I've just turned this into my own private session, basically. With you. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully other people have found that useful as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious to know, what habits have you changed? Do people always ask you this? Right now, great question. I love that. Um, so one thing that I absolutely find extremely difficult, and so I um, have a back problem, a joint problem, and I have to do loads of really boring um, physio exercises. Um, and they didn't bring me joy, and they're not exciting, but they're very necessary if I want to be able to manage um, you know, my back pain better. And so this is a habit I've been working on recently. So I. I found that I wasn't, I'd set myself a little reminder on my phone, you know, at a certain time every day and it says physio hour and uh, it was talking to me about the reasons why I'd want to engage in this habit, be able to perform best at my work, all of my value, but it wasn't really working. And the reason it wasn't working is because it was at the end of the day. So it was when I was in my most depleted state. So I switched that and I started thinking about it in the morning. And I started putting out my um, physio bands and all the different apparatus that I need to use. And I put it on the breakfast table so that I couldn't even eat until I removed that out of the way. And then I said to myself, okay, just do one exercise at a time. You know, one exercise is enough. And I found that once I had done kind of one, I was like, okay, let's let's keep going. We're in the we're in the we're in the zone now. So I just started to layer things on. Um, so one exercise, you know, would turn into three, and then I would start to listen to podcasts at the same time, you know, because it made me feel less like I was wasting kind of you know time by doing it. I felt like I was engaging more. Um, and then again, one of the kind of key things I did was instead of leaving it up to chance about what I would do the next time, at the very end of the session, I take time to reflect on what was well, what didn't, and then I wrote down what I wanted to do in the next session. And one thing that I, even I made the mistake of, um, you know, doing at the start was I said I was going to do it, you know, like five days a week, and that five days wasn't enough. So now I'm three days, and it's really consistent. And with these kind of things, you know, consistency is the key. So it took, but the point on all of that rant is not just about my personal physio and um, exercises, but it's more to say that 
it takes a certain level of experimentation, even for people that live and breathe this stuff. And you have to be kind to yourself in that process because you're not going to get it right straight away. And you've got to find what works for you. And so don't lose motivation at the first sight of failure. Failure is just going to tell you, okay, you're on, on the wrong track there. Let's try something else. You know, it's telling you something. And so you've got to learn from those moments and adapt as necessary if this goal is important to you and it's going to enhance and fulfill your life. So, yeah. Amazing. Amazing that you've been able to put, put your own knowledge into your, your own routine. That's excellent. Yeah. Walking the talk, always good. Yeah, it's very important. So can you tell us about how people can work with you if they want to work with you and where they can find you online if they want to find out more about you? So my website is drheathermckee.co.uk and I work in kind of a number of ways. I work mainly online with clients, so one-to-one calls, kind of just like today. (laughs) And um, we work through your kind of main barriers for change and we create a system for habits that works for you based on the kind of latest evidence-based methods. And I work in three or six week programs and one-to-one helping people kind of build those key systems. Um, I also have a kind of new program which is called a Habit Kickstarter program, which is kind of a one-off deep dive session and 90 minutes kind of helping people really get to grips with what those key barriers are and create a kind of really concrete plan for 2019, looking at, you know, where they want to get to, but also how they can enjoy the process on the way there. And I'm offering people um, at the moment a 20 free 20 minute call with me because, you know, habit change isn't for everyone. And I really understand that and I respect that. And so um, I talk to everyone. I pre-qualify everyone before um, they become a client to make sure that I'm the best person for them and also that they're going to really enjoy and get the most out of the process. So if anyone wants to pop on my website, you can get a free 20-minute phone consultation as well um, to understand it more about what habit change means to you. Because ultimately... Um, you know, I can tell you about my programs that there's no one size fits all and no two programs are the same because the important thing is that it's got to work for that person in the context of their day to day lives. You know, maybe they're a busy mom, maybe they run their own business and, um, you know, maybe they have other commitments. And so it's got to work within all those constraints. Um, and so we really designed a program that's kind of best for you. So if anyone's curious about habit change, then they can pop on the website and they can sign up to um, a free 20 minute call amazing amazing and i'll put all the links in the show notes for anyone who wants to click on there thank you so much for talking to me it's been really interesting i'm going to go and get my gym kit my gym yeah. kit sounds like school doesn't it gym yeah. kit you get my gym kit ready and my plum soles and put them by yeah. the door <laughs> awesome yeah and thank you for your insightful questions i've absolutely loved it thank you so much hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.